Last month, Click Here senior producer Sean Powers and I traveled to Ukraine. We wanted to talk to the people who were coming up with ingenious high-tech solutions to help Ukraine win the war. People like this guy. So this is our facility. Here we are at Aerojics, and uh, let's go. This is Vitaly Kolesenchenko. He's the CEO of a company called Aerologics, and he's building drones for the military in a secret underground factory, which he agreed to let us visit on the condition that we not reveal where it is that we keep that a secret. The night before our arrival, he sent us GPS coordinates, a little red pin dropped in the middle of nowhere. The place is so stealth, we actually drove past it three times before we decided the factory just might be in some of those rusted buildings behind a metal fence. Unmarked. Where is the sign for your your company? Where is the sign? Yeah, big sign that says, you know... Aerologics, yeah, we're doing drone for armed forces. Yes, yeah, please no uh, make some missile launch here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that. Big... Uh... Aerologics, he says, isn't going to be shouting, Hey, Moscow, aim your missiles here. We're making drones for the military. We push through some double doors, and there inside is Vitaly's workshop. It looks like an underground facility out of World War II, like something the French resistance would run if they were building drones. We make molds here, molding process. Uh, We make uh, airframes here, uh, like fuselage, wings, uh, tail, everything. The whole scene is utilitarian. It looks cobbled together from things people had lying around almost like a workshop you'd set up in your garage. There are long workbenches covered in butcher block paper and shop vacs. There was nothing here actually before the invasion because we were like little startup making a cargo drone. And uh, there was like few of us, maybe up to 10 people. Yeah. And how many are you now? Uh, over 60. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. We tell true stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. And today on the show, the first in a four-part series from Ukraine, where we saw firsthand how the country is responding to Russia's invasion with a wave of high-tech creativity. Just as ordinary Ukrainians took up arms and headed for the front lines, the nation's tech community is mobilizing too. The defense tech industry is booming in Ukraine. It's, it's, you can't imagine, like, maybe a year ago, it didn't exist at all. Now, it's almost, it's, it's going to be like a thousand different companies. Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. 
she's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Back in 2021, Vitaly Kolesenchenko was designing power plants. I'm a power engineer. I am like heat power plants, uh, but uh, planes are my dream, child dream, you know. <laughs> So he decided to get into the commercial drone business. We thought that it, it is the future, and we chose to make cargo drones to deliver to hard-to-reach places. Pretty quickly, it was clear that he was on to something. He went to a trade show in Las Vegas and presented the AirLogix cargo drone to investors. And there was all kinds of interest. So there was executive of some chains of hospitals uh, and he wanted to buy these drones to deliver blood samples. Then there was a businessman from Caribbean Sea. They wanted to deliver groceries, alcohol, cigars. But the most interest was from South Korea. So his big career switch from power plants to drones seemed inspired. He looked set to create flocks of small autonomous vehicles that looked like baby Learjets with tilt rotors. And then all his best laid plans were dashed when the Russians invaded Ukraine. Twenty-fourth of February, and we had to change our plans. His commercial business dried up, just like that. They like vanished. Wish you best luck. I hope we will. Yeah, you will win. But I, sorry guys, but we can't do anything about it. Soon after the invasion, Ukraine began to build what came to be known as the Army of Drones. They were used for reconnaissance, dropping grenades, and even kamikaze missions against Russian military equipment. At first, they relied on Chinese drones and donations from around the world. But Beijing has since prohibited drone exports to Ukraine. And so people like Vitaly filled the gap. He started not by contacting the Ministry of Defense to decide what to build, but by going to the people who most needed the drones. Everyone knows someone who's in the fight. Relatives, friends. So they just started asking troops directly what it was they needed at the zero line. We talked to uh, militaries who was like in inner circle of ours. And, and Vitaly and his team just started tweaking designs based on what those people who were fighting said they needed. Our constructors there on the second floor, they made it from scratch and now we're making it here by their drawings. Inside Vitaly's workshop are dozens of workers bent over what look like oversized model airplanes. There are balsa wood frames that look like little skeletons of the aircraft on one side of the room, and wingless fuselages are parked in neat rows on metal shelves on the other. Rolls of fiberglass hang like wrapping paper on the wall. The workers are in t-shirts. Some are applying glue, others are sanding parts. 
And the room has that sweet and sour tang of adhesive, melting fiberglass, and sweat. What it doesn't have is the appearance of a traditional factory. And I guess I was expecting kind of a conveyor belt, you know, old-fashioned factory. Uh, no, it's uh, like handmade. I'm joking like it's one of Rolls Royce, <laughs> each one. Right. Because it's actually made by hand, not automated, because um, automation um, demands a lot of resources and uh, investing. We need a lot of money to automate this process. And we don't have but they don't have a lot of money. And setting up a formal industry like this takes time. So instead, Kiev is depending on the kind of creative bootstrapping conviction that Ukraine has been demonstrating since the invasion began. And this kind of inventiveness was necessary for Vitaly. Even though he was still building drones, commercial drones and combat drones have less in common than you might think. Like, totally different. Yeah. So not even the same mold or anything? Absolutely not. Uh, the commercial drones he had planned to make took off from small runways and were meant to be tracked by air traffic control. Combat drones need to be launched from secret positions, and they're decidedly more basic. They need to be easy to put together, and they need to be invisible against the sky. So Vitalis are sleek and simple, painted gray, and have four to five meter wingspans. That's the basic aircraft. And then he customizes them. Uh, we start from uh, molds. So um, I will show you on this example. For reconnaissance drones, there's a GoPro camera. Uh, this one is a complete drone. It, it's not reconnaissance drone. It's like a one-way drone. He means a kamikaze drone, like the ones that have been crashing into apartment buildings in Russia. Though he wouldn't say exactly what kind of missions his drones are going on. For drones like these, he installs explosives in the nose. Uh, it consists from two halves. And we take molds. Then we uh, use in resin uh, and bake it in this oven. Back in July, China announced that it would begin limiting the export of drones. And those restrictions really started to bite about a month ago. That's why Vitaly has started getting transmitters and communication systems from Europe. He had just received a delivery when we arrived. From England. Power cable and it's, uh, it's adapter. We use it to communicate uh, with laptops. So we connect he was like a kid at Christmas when he opened it up and pulled out the transmitter. Because it's a sort of artisanal drone shop, Vitaly says right now they only make about 12 to 15 of these drones a month, which may not sound like much. But if you think that there are hundreds of factories like these springing up all over the country, the numbers start to add up. And the last step in this process may be what's most surprising. These drones Vitaly is making, they go to the front lines, directly. No middleman, no long, drawn-out procurement process, these soldiers who told AirLogix what they needed in the field, they actually get the drones they requested. They come right to them, which, believe it or not, is perfectly legal in Ukraine. Before February 24, there was almost no private uh, sector for, in, in defense. This is Alexander Bornikov. He's a deputy minister in the Ministry of Digital Transformation. 
most of the regulation were built from 60s or 70s. So Army of Drones did a lot to ease the procedures, to make them uh, fast, transparent, uh, and... Uh, modern. Modern, not complicated. Uh, when people started to see that, they started to create companies and offer their uh, products and uh, actually uh, get certified. People with loved ones on the front lines aren't just sending care packages to the soldiers with cookies or a note from mom. They're also offering what they really need, ammunition and drones. I can give you like uh, 50 drones, 20 drones, and they like, oh, those drones are, those are good. That kind of ad hoc behind-the-scenes distribution of drones may help explain this crazy episode that took place back in May. Remember when those two drones exploded over the Kremlin? Russia has accused Ukraine of launching two drone attacks. Russian officials have called it an attempt on President Putin's life. Surveillance video showed a tiny blaze of light, and then it just flickered out, like a firefly above Red Square. CCTV video catching the second explosion near the Russian flag. The attack didn't do much physical damage, but it did have some psychic effects. If Ukraine was behind it, it seemed to suggest, that would mean Kyiv had the ability to strike deep inside Russia. And there was this other thing. No one could be sure who was behind it because the drones couldn't be traced. They were of a variety nobody had seen before. Like the kind of drone that might, say, come out of an underground factory. Before the war... There wasn't that much of a military contractor industry to speak of in Ukraine. In fact, the government seemed to actively discourage these kinds of partnerships by limiting how much a private company could make from a military contract. The margin, maximum margin that private Ukrainian private company could set on military uh, or defense product was one percent. Wow! And what is it now? Twenty-five. So with twenty-five margin, this resulted in hundreds of drone companies, and they started competing with each other, with technologies, with solutions. Then in April, the Ministry for Digital Transformation announced sweeping changes to Ukraine's military tech industry, a program they call Brave One. And it's all part of an effort to try to corral this new private military production. With everything moving so quickly and help needed so urgently, Alex says they tried to keep the process as simple as possible. You sign into the portal, prove you're Ukrainian, and then suggest ideas on how to help win the war. So let's say you're a small company, you're doing something in Garage. Let's say you have a prototype, then this prototype works, and then you test this with their military, and then it's good. And they say, yeah, we can procure for you. And, uh, and then uh, they maybe you have a, for your first contract and you get your money, and then... And then you can go reinvest it, get bigger contracts. And if it can help the war effort, then they try to get it into the pipeline as quickly as possible. And at this point, we have more than 650 applications. So this actually shows that the defense tech industry is booming in Ukraine. It's, it's, can you imagine, like, maybe a year ago, it didn't exist at all. Now, it's almost, it's, it's going to be like a thousand different companies. Alex says the fight has to be this way. Ukraine has to be more nimble, smarter. We fight with the enemy much, much bigger than us uh, in terms of their access to 
Everything. Everything, yeah, <laughs> basically. People, hardware, hardware people, yeah. uh, and uh, if we just give them a symmetric answer, we're not going to win this. We need to find for asymmetric solutions. So it's basically like uh, fighting their warships with us, uh, marine drones. That kind of solutions we're looking for. Which is why the designers at Aerologix are working on a new drone design that makes the drone building process even easier. They envision a drone that could arrive on the front lines in a tidy little box and then soldiers could build it themselves. You can see it rolls up like that. Camera is here. Yeah, camera mounts right here. This is Mazar, a student and design engineer, and he's showing me the prototype for this new type of drone. It's still testing, and we're trying to select the most simple tool in assembly. So the concept is like it, it can be assembled. Uh, you don't need special education to assemble it. You just like Lego. Like Lego, he says. So you wouldn't need all the different people putting it together? Just, it could just come in a box. Yeah, uh, so you need like two people, glue, and uh, that's all. How long does it take to assemble? About two days, quite fast. When do you think something like that would be available? Maybe a month, maybe more, maybe less. Not a year. We don't have a year. <laughs> when we come back, we take you to another underground drone factory. But this one has borrowed some ideas from, of all people, the Wright brothers. And they came up with an unusual use for all those landmines Russia has been burying in Ukraine. Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. We're walking up some dark stairs of an old factory building with a guy named Valery Borovic. Okay, let's go. We met him more than a year ago when he started a drone school for women. He brought in a bunch of military instructors and then taught women how to do reconnaissance for local territorial defense forces. He's also the founder of a drone company called First Contact. And just to give you a visual, he looks a lot like Sting, the young Sting, when he was still with the police. We must be careful. Val wanted to give us a tour of what he calls his drone lab. And just like Vitaly before him, operational security meant that there was no address to share. And instead of a GPS pin, he met us at a store and then had us follow him in our car. Special location, and you will see inside. The lab is in a cavernous, broken-down building that he shares with a food processing plant on the first floor. It's like a cannery. So the whole place smells a bit like a school cafeteria at lunch. Everything has been painted white, and the floors are concrete. But your eye is immediately drawn to the middle of the room. It's many, many drones. 50 lightweight drones. 
four-foot wingspan, painted gray, lined up on the floor in formation, as if waiting for takeoff. Uh, this drone started for production after war. Val has been making combat drones for nearly a decade. For you, our war started only 2022. For us, war, war started uh, uh, 2014. 2014, Russia's illegal annexation of Crimea. And the difference between the Aerologix drones and Val's is that these ones are made out of something you wouldn't expect. Uh, wood and paper. Yeah. Not very, very expensive. Inexpensive wood and paper. Think little Wright Brothers-inspired flyers or something you'd buy for a kid. The drones have paper wings. Their frames are made of balsa wood. And though they look like large toy airplanes, their mission is deadly serious. It's uh, combat drones, like kamikaze. They go but don't return. Yeah. Val's business partner, Miroslav, is a Ukrainian army veteran. Uh, this drone, like with grenade with uh, wings. Like a grenade with wings, he says. The design might look primitive, but it has its advantages. Drones made of plastic foam or wood are harder for Russian air defense to spot. Uh, because uh, only a very good quality radio locator can see this uh, kind of uh, materials. All the Soviet uh, weapons that Russia has everywhere, they can see. Another benefit to the little paper and wood drones, the guys tell me, is cost. Each one runs about 8,000 euros to make, which is far less than an artillery battery would cost. Right now, this paper drone project is self-funded. Val says he and his partners have kicked in about half a million dollars. And since it's self-funded, the team is finding ways to economize, like on explosives. We use all the uh, Soviet uh, anti-tank uh, mine. The Soviet anti-tank mines Russia has buried on the front lines to slow the counteroffensive. Val and Miroslav are repurposing them for their drone project. Miroslav shows me a photograph on his phone of the mines they're using. It's a remarkable picture. Soviet anti-tank mines are piled up about four feet high. Shiny, round metal circles sitting in the middle of a field. So you're using their old mines against them? Val starts laughing. And return. (laughs) For present. We're returning them to Russia as a present, he says. So are these specific drones being used on the battlefield now? Yes. I can can show you. Valerie pulls out his phone and shows me a video he's recently taken in the eastern part of Ukraine. He's holding one of these paper and wood drones equipped with explosives. It's, it's, it's re- really a front line. In the video, he puts the gray paper drones on a kind of air tube launcher. And then he fires it into the air and it just disappears from sight. And you can see in the video that Val and the assembled are doing a quiet cheer punching the air. And after that, we destroyed one big uh, anti-jamming system. Val says first contact is making 100 drones a month at the secret location. Right now, he's sending his drones to a buddy of his on the zero line who is using them for his platoon. 
Val says he expects they eventually will get a government contract that will allow him to boost those numbers and help Ukraine fight the war. They have the connections they need to get these drones out to the field, so they haven't used the Brave One portal the government set up. But he hasn't ruled out doing all of this officially with the government's help. If we, we, we will have a good contract with uh, our government, we, will pro- we can product 2,000 per month. And we will do it. And just like that, a private defense industry in Ukraine is born. This is Click Here. Yo, awesome Here are some of the top cyber and intelligence stories of the past week. According to a new report from Microsoft, Ukraine, Israel, South Korea, and Taiwan were the countries most targeted with cyber attacks since last July. The company's annual digital defense report uses troves of data that the company picks up to tease out cybersecurity trends. This year's report uses data vacuumed up between July 2022 and June 2023. The incidents ranged from damaging cyber attacks to espionage and information operations. Microsoft's Tom Burt said that nearly half the attacks they tracked targeted NATO member states, and about 40% of the incidents focused on government or private sector organizations that were involved in building and maintaining critical infrastructure. And finally, MGM Resorts has emerged from a recent cyber attack, saying it cost the company some $100 million. That's according to a regulatory filing the Las Vegas company submitted to the Securities and Exchange Commission last week. The company said some customer data was compromised, but it didn't respond to requests for comment about how many people were actually affected. MGM Resorts discovered the breach on September 11th and shut down all its systems to prevent hackers from doing more damage. The attack ended up affecting not just MGM's namesake resort, but also the company's operations at Mandalay Bay, the Bellagio, the Cosmopolitan, and the Aria. For days, everything from slot machines to restaurant management systems to even key cards for the rooms were shut off as a result of the attack. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and I'm the executive producer and host of the show. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director. Will Jarvis is our producer, and Lucas Riley and Jade Abdul-Malik are our staff writers. Our editing team is led by Karen Duffin and Lou Wolkowski, and Darren Ancrum does our fact-checking. Special thanks this week to Darina Antonuk and Daniel Puchdarov for their help with our reporting on the ground in Ukraine. Our theme and original music compositions are by Ben Levingston. We also use music from Blue Dot Sessions. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts, or send us an email at clickhere@recordedfuture.com, And check out our website with details about our shows and our whole show catalog at clickhereshow.com. That's a wrap for this week. I'm Dina Templerest. We'll be back on Tuesday. Have you ever heard of the show MacGyver? So MacGyver mm-hmm. it was an old show in the 1980s and 1990s. Ah, okay. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. And he would have like a sock uh-huh. and a rubber band, and he would turn it into a weapon. Uh-huh. And what Ukraine is doing yeah. is it's MacGyvering the war. You're taking the smallest thing and turning okay, we, it into we, we a big thing. We can speak with him.
MacGyver. Yeah. <laughs> 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 There'll be a little MacGyver yeah, music. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.